Good morning, Crosspoint again. I'm so excited to be with you. And again, this is Hume Sunday. We're really excited for being able to highlight. Um, I want to do a few things. And uh, if you would, open up in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning. And as you're opening there, I just want to uh, just highlight one thing. We're going to be looking at the book of Daniel this morning. We're going to be looking at a few different places in the book of Daniel. Now, the book of Daniel is incredible, filled with... Uh, many amazing themes like courage and opposition, faithfulness to God, a story of the sovereignty of God, so many beautiful prophecies that we read in the book of Daniel. It's, it's an amazing book, but we're only going to get to a small chunk of it this morning. So if you would on your own, read through the book of Daniel. It's 12 chapters. You take one a day, you'll be done in less than two weeks, and you'll be able to experience the fullness of what is happening here at the book of Daniel. But what we are talking about today is a clash of two cultures. We're talking about um, what we will see in the book of Daniel, the kingdom of Babylon, and the clash of cultures between the kingdom of God. We're going to look at King Nebuchadnezzar. We're going to look at King Jesus. We're going to see this tension between the two. And the reason we're talking about this is, one, because this is what we learned about all week at camp, but also because... Everyone is feeling this tension. Living here on earth, we are living and feeling this tension. And so I just want to highlight for a moment. So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 8. And here's what it says. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews who have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, a bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to them, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for this truth, and would you uh, help us understand what you have for us here. As we're living in Babylon in this day and age, would you please show us what it means to follow you? We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I wonder if you've ever shared this experience with me. Have you ever been a stranger somewhere? Let me, let me explain what I mean. Um, when I was 17, I went on a mission trip with our church, with the church I, I was at at the time, and it was awesome. We went to Peru. Um, so in some sense, I felt like a stranger, but in another sense, I felt at home. I speak Spanish, I'm Hispanic, and it was great. Uh, we went and we helped build an orphanage. We went and we preached the gospel on the street to people who had never heard the gospel before. We went to this town who experienced a devastating um, earthquake, and we got to help rebuild the town and put on a VBS for the kids. It was an amazing trip, full of ministry. It was awesome. Um, now, the last day of the trip is, was there, of the mission trip was there, and we were eating dinner, and for some reason, we got lost track of time, and we were late to the airport. So we're rushing to the airport. Our, my pastor's like herding cattle, get on the bus. We need to get to the airport. We get to the airport, and then lo and behold, the TSA line is just backed up, of course. So we're, uh, we're getting through the line. People are getting in slowly but surely. So my youth pastor asked me, hey, Byron, can you stay in the back um, and just make sure everyone gets through? I was like, absolutely. Now, there was a girl on this mission trip. Her name is Alyssa. She's my wife now. Um, <laughs> There was a girl on this mission trip who, uh, I was 17, she was 16. I wasn't allowed to date her yet, but we were like starting to get to know each other. So I was in the back of the line and she also was hanging out in the back of the line. Scandalous, I know, mission trip, <laughs> I get it. So we're getting through the line, everyone is going through, um, and then we get to the last five people, Pastor Randolph, by the way, my youth pastor is my father-in-law crazy story. Um, Pastor Randolph was like, uh, hey, you five, you stay together. Once everyone gets out, just run over to the gate. We all get through. We're running full sprint to the gate, and they shut the door on us. Five of us are stuck in Peru. And listen, I'm stuck with Alyssa. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm so happy. I am so happy. Some people might say, you know, that was luck. I say divine intervention. It was awesome. So here's where it gets weird. We had to figure out what to do, and we had to know what to do. We, that whole time, we were bussed by people who knew the land. We were chaperoned by people who knew what to do, how to get taxis, buses, all of that stuff. We didn't know what to do. We felt like strangers for the first time in that whole trip. We felt like we didn't belong there. I go outside the, uh, I go outside the airport and I'm trying to flag down a, a taxi in Peru, which is quite different than flagging down a taxi here in Southern California. You basically have to jump in front of them and they'll miss you, but that's what you have to do. You get everyone in the car, then we get to the Bible college, um, and we're asking the taxi driver to wait because we don't even have any money. Um, I had to go hop a fence to get into the Bible college, and I knock on the door of the guy who's in charge of the Bible college, and he's about ready to call the police because it's one in the morning, and, and, and all of it, and I'm, and I'm just feeling, I, I just don't belong here. Have you ever had that experience, that you've been in a place you don't belong? Maybe not hopping over a gate in Peru, but the experience of not belonging. The backdrop to the book of Daniel is that the people of God are in exile. 
The people of God are in exile, and they have been taken captive by the Babylonians. These people are not in the land they're supposed to be. They're not with the people they know and love. They are in complete exile. Daniel chapter 1 says this in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So they are under, they were under attack and they have taken over. Now Jerusalem was taken captive by Babylon and now what King Nebuchadnezzar is doing is he's picking the best people from the people he's taking captive to be a part of his inner circle, to be a part of the king's square. It says this in verse 3, Then the king commanded Asphanes, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both to the royal family and the nobility, youth without blemish, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. So he's picking the best and the brightest of all the people from Jerusalem that they just took over. And here's where we see four guys enter into the scene. Here are the four guys chosen by King Nebuchadnezzar. Look with me in verse 6. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the tribe of Judah. Now the king takes these four men. Now I want you to draw your attention because you have to understand this as context of what we're going to do. Imagine these guys we think we're between 16 and 18. So late teenagers at best. Imagine being a teenager in exile. Your home is taken from you. Now you're, you're in this strange land that probably doesn't even have the same language, does not have the same customs. Everything that you know about is gone. Not only that, the most important person in power is picking you to be a part of this thing. Can you imagine the fear? Can you imagine the influence that King Nebuchadnezzar could have over them? Could you imagine how they feel they must fit in and how they must, uh, the pressure they must feel to be a part of this new culture? This is the backdrop of everything we're going to read today and everything that the scripture has to tell us. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this is because there is another truth that runs in parallel with this. In the book of Daniel, God's people are in exile, but as disciples of Jesus Christ, we are exiles in this world. We just went through this in 1 Peter. You remember that? That whole series we went through? This is not our home. We are exiles in this land. And just like Daniel, just like, um, just like Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, we are exiles just as they were exiles. Now, Pastor Brian Howard, the pastor that was speaking for us at Hume Lake, he characterizes exile as this way. There's three characteristics. It's uncomfortable, it's unfriendly, and it's uncompromising. It's uncomfortable, it's unfriendly, and it's uncompromising. Here's what I mean. What I mean is if you've ever been in a place where you've been traveling and you don't speak the same languages, you don't have the same customs, what do you feel? You feel uncomfortable, right? Not only that, if you're in a place where you don't belong and the people there don't want you to belong, it's unfriendly. You ever been in New York? <laughs> it's crazy, right? You walk there, it's just like, I've been there once, it was awesome, but I, I'm not a New Yorker. I'm a Southern California boy for sure through and through. 
It was unfriendly. Not only that, the place that you're going to, the people who is keeping you in exile is uncompromising. They will not bow down to the beliefs you have. You must adapt to the customs that they have. And we see that here in the story. We see these three aspects in exile. Now, to get back to the original text that we just read in Daniel chapter 3, we see this on display. We see that King Nebuchadnezzar sets this decree and says, when you hear the music, you must bow down to the golden image. But if you don't, there will be a consequence to pay. They were put in an uncomfortable and unfriendly and an uncompromising environment. Not only that, we see that they would not and it costs them. It costs them. What I want to do is I want to highlight some things that we see here in the book of Daniel, but I also just want to talk about the students for a little bit. Um, a lot of you guys here know teenagers, know junior hires and high schoolers. A lot of you guys are parents, grandparents to junior hires in high school. What I want you to do is just give you some lies that Babylon has given to our students to help you be equipped, to help you pray, and I actually think in looking at these things, you'll see and you'll feel that we're not too far from these things ourselves. So here's where the culture war begins. Babylon versus Jesus. What are the lies of Babylon? The first one is identity. Babylon attacks the identity of young people. We have an identity crisis in our day and age. Did you know that? By the way, this is nothing new. This is something that people in Babylon have been trying to do since we're reading the book of Daniel. Look with me in Daniel chapter 1. We're going to look at four verses, and I want you to see what is attacked in the life of these four Hebrew men. Look with me in verse 4 at the end. It says... Um, Youth, we'll start at the beginning. Youth without blemish of good, apparent, good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. What they tried to do right here now is they're trying to give them a new education system. They're trying to teach them, not in the ways of God, but in the ways of the Chaldeans, in philosophies, in education, in every other way than the scripture or what God has for his people. And they're trying to take that part, that identity away. Not only that, they're trying to take the food customs. Look with me in verse 5. The king assured them a daily portion of food that the king ate and, uh, and of the wine that he drank. So he was trying to give them a new food, a new way of existing. Because if you know Old Testament law, you know that food is a part of their culture. Look, keep going. They were educated for three years, and at the end of the time, they will stay before the king. So there's the education part of it again. The third thing they attack is something so essential to you and I. They attack their very name. Look at what it says in verse 6. Among those were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. Do so you see what he's doing here? He's saying, I want to take away your home. 
I want to take away everything you know about life and reality. I want to take away your name, who you are. And not only that, I want to take away everything you know. I want to take your religion. I want to take it all. That's what Babylon has been doing since long ago. They've been trying to take, dismantle their identity. King Nebuchadnezzar tried to rip the Hebrew out of Daniel and these boys by taking their, way, their identity and giving them a new one. Now, this is the battle, one of the battles of the culture. Do you remember in the 80s and 90s when gangs were so big? How did we get there? The reason we got there is because young men who had no structure or no identity were, found themselves in a gang, in a place where they belonged. They were given an identity, and that identity was so strong that they were willing to murder for it. That's how we got there. How do you confuse a whole generation about morality, sexuality, gender, all of those things? You take away their identity. These are the lies of Babylon. Babylon has been doing this since long ago. If you wonder why students are, what, are where they're at, it's because it's a lack of identity. Identity, belonging, being a part of a community, it's central to the human heart. And our students have lost their identity. The second lie Babylon has given them is there's too many distractions to follow Jesus. There's too many distractions to follow Jesus. The average teenager screen time is between seven to 12 hours. I like to think it's probably closer to the 12 hours, but it depends on who you ask. Can you imagine being devoted to something for that long every single day? Could you imagine what your life would look like if you devoted yourself to seven hours a day or 12 hours a day to something like that? It's no wonder that people are having a hard time following Jesus, especially as a junior high and a high school student. And let me also tell you that the content that they're viewing in their screen time is not the content of the kingdom of God. It's the content of Babylon. They're hearing the messages and the lies from Babylon. Listen, I, I'm, I'm on social media these are the four things I follow. I follow um, pastors, I follow churches, I follow friends and family, and I follow cycling. That's it. I still get a lot of pushback to the faith, even with just those things that are on my Instagram feed. The third thing we see is opposing worldviews that are louder than the truth. Now, this takes one and two and just composes it into one big thing. Now, imagine this. Imagine you have a teenager. The teenager goes to church inconsistently, but goes to church. Reads the Bible every once in a while, but does sometimes read the Bible. Now, that teenager goes into college confused on who they are and what they're supposed to do with their life. And in that college, they are given worldviews opposed to anything they ever heard before. There is no God. There are a thousand genders. And then they're too distracted to read their Bibles. Which one is louder? Which worldview is louder? Everything that they're hearing from their friends, everything they're hearing at school and those kinds of things. And the fourth thing, which is a powerful one, is a fear of being cast out. A fear of being cast out. I don't think teenagers are the only people who deal with this. I think we all deal with this, right? Now, this is also a tactic from Babylon that I want to show you here in Daniel chapter 3. 
We read leading up to the fiery furnace. Let's look at the first seven verses of chapter 3 leading up to that incident. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 60 cubits. He set it on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather satraps and prefects and governors and counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the province to come to dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justice, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the province gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Verse 4. And they heard proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O people, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And whoever does not fall, look at this, whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the fiery furnace. What is the, what is the tactic used here from Babylon to get people to comply? Is it love? No, it's fear. Our students in a group Maybe they stand out for their faith. Maybe they stick up for their faith. What happens? They're outcasted by the rest of them. We deal with the same thing at work, the places that we're at. We are in fear. Now, these are the lies of Babylon. By the way, that's not all bad news. I know it seems bleak, but there's always good news. What we want to do is look at these truths that we just talked about, and we want to give you some truth that goes side by side with this. That is greater than the truth of Babylon. What are the truths of the kingdom of God? The first one is this. Our identity is in Christ. Our identity is in Christ. Giving a student the identity of the kingdom of God has to be one of the biggest priorities as a parent, has to be one of the biggest priorities as a mentor, You have to root people, students especially, in your identity in Christ. Maybe I can explain it this way. This is how important it is. I'm not that easily offended, maybe sometimes. There's a lot of things you could call me that, you could call me ugly, you could call me, you know, whatever. Um, You could call me a bad bike rider. Actually, that one would hurt. Don't tell me that. Um, You... Here's the one thing if you were to call me just would absolutely destroy me. And please don't send me emails just playing around. I'm just, I'm sensitive. Uh, just kidding. Um, here's the one thing that you can say to me that would absolutely destroy me. It's you're lazy. Here's why. I grew up with two immigrant parents. They both came from my mom, Mexico, my dad, Guatemala. And since I was little, every single day of my life, this is what they told me. Moraleses are hard workers. We work hard. Here's why he would tell me that. He would tell me that because he would also say, we don't have anything to fall back on. If we don't make it, we are done. 
We don't have, we have to make it work. That means we have to work hard and get what we get and do what we do. We Morales is, there's no option. We work hard. That was told to me every single day of my life. It was also reinforced by my dad taking me to work with him. Not only did he take me to work with me, he put me to work. And it wasn't the put you to work where you do a few things and you get $5. It was the work work. He put me to work, and by the time we were able to buy a house when I was a teenager, my dad saved enough to buy a house, we, we had to do the work ourselves. I was the one in the front yard digging the trench for the new plumbing to go through. I was the one helping put up drywall. The Moraleses, we work hard. That has been my identity ever since I was little. If you call me lazy, you're calling me against everything I know. That's the kind of identity that our students need to have. Imagine being convinced that there is a God. Imagine having the identity to be convinced that God chose to save you. Imagine also being convinced that this plan of salvation was set in motion before the foundations of the world. Imagine being convinced that we are separated from God because of our sin, but God chose to make a way by sending his son Jesus to die on the cross to accomplish the plan of redemption for you and for me. Imagine having the worldview of knowing that salvation was secure because the Father has sealed us with his Holy Spirit and preserves us till the end. Imagine knowing you are a son or daughter of King Jesus, not a King Nebuchadnezzar, not of Babylon, and no power, force, Satan, hell, nothing can separate you from God. Imagine having that worldview. Imagine being 16 and 17 when all hope seems lost, when everything is confusing, you are grounded by this truth. Our identity in Christ is a foundation for us, and it must be for our sons and our daughters. The second thing is we must have a full allegiance to God, a full allegiance to God. Now, I want you to see in, in a moment where these guys could literally die, I want you to see their response Look with me in verse 16 in chapter 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the the fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Do you see the allegiance to God in this passage? Do you see how they were willing to experience death, to follow, to obey God? These are the truths that our students need. They need to see people in their lives who have this kind of devotion and allegiance to Jesus, to King Jesus. That's what they need. Number three, if you're taking notes, it has never been more important for us to know the Bible, to know uh, we need a deep knowledge of God and the scriptures. We need a deep knowledge of God and the scriptures. The word of God is what God uses to ground us. You know, it's, I, I heard this interview um, the other day, and it says that we are one of the most illiterate, Bible illiterate times that the church has ever seen. And what's crazy is that that is true. We're starting to see more and more that people are less and less know about the Bible 
but really don't know what the contents therein. We need to be students of the word. Our students need to be students of the word. We need to consume the word. I was just reflecting on uh, my devotions this week. Isaiah chapter 55. Look at, this is how sufficient God's word is for our life. It says this. This is what God's word does to us. Every time we read it, open it up, this is what God can do. Isaiah 55 verse 10, it says this. For as the rain and the snow comes down from heaven and does not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I propose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That's the sufficiency we have in the word of God. We must know, build our identity on the truths that are proclaimed here on this book. Now, this is not a junior high or a high school specific thing. You and all, you and I, we are all in Babylon living. And it's been tough. It's been a rough go for us. But there is some hope. How do we live like Daniel in Babylon? This is for all of us. How do we stand firm in our faith the way we saw these examples do? How do we live like this? The first thing is we trust in the sovereign Lord. We trust in the sovereign Lord. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. We're going to read another passage, a passage you probably are familiar with. For some reason, these intense uh, stories are in our Sunday schools. Um, and we're going to read about Daniel in the lion's den, where he was potentially eaten by a lion. And I want you to notice the trust that Daniel has in God as he's dealing with the fact that he is about to be killed. We'll start in verse Let's start in verse 15. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that is the law of the Medes and Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king established can be changed. Then the king commanded Daniel, was brought in and cast into the den of lion. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. So Daniel was next in line on the throne. Some of the other rulers were jealous. They put in a rule in place and said, if anyone prays to anyone other than King Darius, you're going to get sent into the lion's den. Daniel, because he was faithful to God, would pray every day. They caught him, and now they're throwing him into the lion's den. And it's almost as if King Darius pronounces a blessing. May your God, whom you serve, be with you. Verse 17. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversion was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at, day, then at the break of day, the king arose and went into haste of the lion's den. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out, with a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said, O oh, king, live forever. My God sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, king, I have done no harm. 
Now look at this verse, verse 23. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded Daniel be taken up from the den. So Daniel was taken up from the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. He had trusted his God. This is the day and the age more than ever that we have to trust God. But we also trust the sovereignty, the big God of the Bible who's overall and controls all. Look with me. Look at Darius' statement. This isn't even Daniel in verse 26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Look at the sovereignty statements that King Darius, who's kind of not all the way there, this is what he says. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's den. We didn't need to recognize that who we serve, the God who is with us, will be with us till the end. No power, no dominion can take over what the Lord has established. Number two, if you're taking notes, hopefully this is practical to you, but convictions happen in advance convictions happen in advance. I want to read you just one quick verse from Daniel chapter 1. It says in verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. You and I, whether you like it or not, it's coming. There's going to be a time where you're going to have to stand up for your faith. You're going to have to face something in Babylon because it's going to happen. And my question to you is, what are the convictions you're going to hold fast to? Because those need to be decided right now. You're not going to decide them in the moment. What you know and believe, what your identity is, and what you believe to be true, that will stand in the moment. We need to be like Daniel and say, I resolve to follow Jesus Christ in this way. The third thing is obey and live the truths of God. Obey and live the truths of God. This is how you and I in this radical world, this is how we show faithfulness to God day in, day out. It's not the big things. It's not Daniel in the lion's den. It's simple obedience and living for Jesus Christ day in and day out. This is how we live like Daniel in Babylon. We read the scriptures we know the scriptures. We follow the scriptures for the dying world to see. The last thing we do is we look, we live with courage that comes from our examples. We live with courage that comes from our examples. Now, here's the great part about the book of Daniel and really, quite frankly, the whole part of the Bible. We have people that we constantly get to look to as examples for us. Some not what to do, but here on what to do. I hope and pray that you read the book of Daniel, not just so that you know biblical knowledge for biblical knowledge's sake, but that you would gain some strength that in the time you live in, you would be able to stand like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, like Daniel, Look at our Savior. Our Savior suffered. He went through persecution unlike any other. And what did he say in his time of need? He said, not my will, but whose will? Your will, God, be done. 
This is how you and I live in Babylon. It takes trust in the sovereign Lord. It takes conviction that you and I need to start settling in our hearts now. It takes obeying and living the truth of God day in and day out. It takes looking to our example, our examples in the scriptures, and we say, I want to live like Daniel. I want to live like these guys. Let me end with a hymn. Have you ever heard that hymn, I've Decided to Follow Jesus? It's a great one, right? Here's what it says. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me and the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back.